New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Today, Albert Flynn de Silver says that writing is a spiritual experience. Many of us would like to get on the highway to becoming a writer, but we're stopped by the chatter in our heads that tell us, I'm not good enough. Hasn't it all been said before? Or, I could never be as good as so-and-so. Or even, I don't have the time. De Silver encourages us to choose to stop the chatter in our head and say, now is always the time, literally. Don't wait. This is our moment to allow inspiration in and our imaginative brilliance out. He adds, the sooner we can wrap our mind around writing as a process, an adventurous journey instead of a product, the sooner we can get into the work of writing as an act of discovery. Albert Flynn de Silver is an American poet, memorist, novelist, speaker, and leader of writing workshops. He's the author of several books of poetry, including Letters to Early Street and Walking Tooth and Cloud. He has also published a memoir, Beamish Boy, and is the author of Writing as a Path to Awakening, A Year to Becoming an Excellent Writer and Living an Awakened Life. Join us for the next hour as we explore the creative process of writing with our guest, Albert Flynn de Silver. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Albert, welcome. Thank you so much, Justine. A great honor to be here with you. Well, thank you. It's it's our honor and privilege to have you here. And I, I would like to begin, I know that you pair up writing and meditation. Um, you use meditation as an important component to writing. And I, I want you to share just um, how those two link up. But before we do that, I want to have you describe how you first clicked with meditation. It took you a while, I think, to get into it. So tell us when it first clicked for you. Sure. I, I think the, the time that it really clicked for me dramatically was uh, the first time I ever did a an extended silent retreat at Spirit Rock. I had been attending day-longs and going to Jack Cornfield's famous Monday night class for for 
few years, and then I met one of his teachers, uh, the great uh, Thai master Ajahn Jamnian. And he used to come every year to Spirit Rock, and he would do kind of a non-residential uh, series of day-longs. I just want to say Spirit Rock is a meditation center in Northern California, in just across the Golden Gate Bridge in a town just north of San Francisco, just for listeners who are That's not right. familiar sure. with it. Mm. Sure. And so then it turned out that he was offering uh, an extended silent retreat, which I had never done. And I thought, okay, I will, I'll give it a whirl. <laughs> and so, you know, off I went to this silent retreat. And I, I mean, I had a little sense of what I was in for, but, you know, the daylongs are never silent. And to be quiet for an extended period of time, even for a couple hours, I think is a, is a radical thing to do in our day and age. And let alone, you know, eight days of this. And I couldn't believe it. The first, you know, three or four days was just constant, nonstop, chatter, chatter, chatter. In your um, head. Yeah, right. in my head. And just like incredible stories that I was making up about people and judgments about people. And it all just sort of came up in front of me in this very stark way that I had never really had the space to pay attention to. And um, and it, it, it was really difficult and really challenging. And I thought I was going a little bit batty. And fortunately, we had... Um, time to do walking meditation and do some embodiment exercises that, that Ajahn Jamnian had taught us. And so there was this one day where I finally, I just had to, I had to go out for, you know, just take a break from, from the Dharma talks and from the silent sitting. And I just walked out onto the land and up this creek bed and I just lay down in the gravel. And I just was sort of going to just relax and take a nap. But instead, I was so um, attuned to the meditation, I sort of went straight into this meditation experience, kind of a lying down meditation experience. And I describe this in much better detail in the, in the book and a little bit in my, my memoir. But uh, what happened was that I just all of a sudden went into this kind of waking dream state and was thrust back in time to a very traumatic experience in my childhood. Um, and I grew up in this, this um, abusive household, you know, to distant alcoholic parents, and they weren't really up for parenting, so they hired this, this very controlling and violent uh, governess. And, and so there I was lying in this creek bed and just thrust back to when I was about probably five years old and, you know, leaving my room a mess and just getting into trouble with the, the governess. And the scene that arises before me is, is not a dream. It's, it's this sort of waking, like, experience is all I can describe it as. And she's getting furious with me. And she's just doing the thing that she used to do, which was bat me around and pull me by my ears and pull my hair and drag me down the hallway. But in this, this heightened meditative state, she just she can't, she's just pulling at my hair like tufts of weeds and throwing them aside. She rips my arm off and just throws it away. <laughs> she, you know, she just kind of tears me limb from limb. And I'm left as just this, this empty stump. And she's getting more and more furious and more and more enraged because she can't, she can't get to me. And 
suddenly she just basically explodes and turns into this giant blue puff of smoke and disappears. And I was just like amazed. I mean, I just like this huge gush of energy just left my body at that moment. And I'm lying in this creek bed and this energy just dissipates. And I just started bawling my eyes out, you know, just weeping, weeping, weeping. And and then I just felt this lightness, this this release, like something had like sticky and and dark had just left my body. And it was just the most remarkable, amazing mm. experience of my life. And the and the rest of the retreat, I sort of was just wandering around with this heightened sense of like, what was that? Mm-hmm. Who am I now without this story? You know, this like grief seemed to have physically left my body. And maybe this is where I get to just show up and be in life. And I was at just so much ease and laughter and joy at the simplest things for the rest of that retreat. And so I think that's when it clicked for me. <laughs> yes. Was that, and that was a pretty dramatic example. Yes, yes. But uh, uh, And then later on, as you really got better and better and with meditation or at least more practice with it and did it more devotedly, you add that to your writing and you've paired these up. Mm-hmm. Now that's that was that was different than what I've done many interviews with people who talk about writing and how to become a better writer. Yeah. But throughout your book, you have all these meditative practices and then you have writing exercises mm-hmm. as well. But you always pair these together. And can you say something about how they work yeah, together? Yeah, so I think this is an example of of reconnecting to the body and of of allowing things to release. I mean, I think for for many of us, whether you have um, you know, you had a traumatic childhood or not, in some ways just being in America in 2018 is traumatic enough, you know, with the news cycle and all the information and so forth. And I think what happens is it it lives in our bodies. It kind of gets stuck in our bones. And so meditation for me is this way of releasing that, of, of letting it go and reconnecting to the true song of the heart. And, and so it, it allows us to kind of to step in to that field of of generative creativity that's always there, but gets obscured when we get blinded by the conditionality of the world. Um, And so what I find is to really get at the truth of what I want to say, which is the writing. Um, Meditation has always been this way to, to not sort of overthink and write from my head, but write from my body. Right from, you know, I always loved the title of Natalie Goldberg's book, Writing Down the Bones. And it, for a long time, I thought it was a clever title. And I didn't really get it. But then, you know, having this visceral release experience of really going interior into the, the, the scary, traumatic stuff of, of our being, then I got it. I was like, oh, this is writing down the bones. This is writing down the viscera, the, the tied knots of grief and fear and trauma. That's the real work of writing. And I think meditation is the way to get there. Um, But it's certainly not easy. It can be quite scary and quite harrowing. You say, 
we're not becoming a writer. Like it, it, the writing is a process. It's 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 not a product. And like some people say, well, I can't call myself a writer until I'm published. <laughs> yes, you know. <laughs> right. So, but you 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 don't agree with that. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that I've never had that that idea before you know i mean this is we're so conditioned in our culture particularly to think of everything as a product everything is commodified and commercialized uh so it's i think it's a real challenge to enter into that that zone of process and receptivity but i do think it's necessary and it's it's one of those things that that again meditation is a way to remember that and remind ourselves of oh yeah this isn't about the finished book this is about the excitement of creating this thing and really co-creating it because writing is a community practice i think you know, even, I mean, I can't tell you how many people <laughs> were involved in this book, not to mention all the ethereal influences of all those who came before me, right? And who continue to influence me, all the people that I read and the, the ones that I sit with and the ones that I listen to on the radio, for example, or on podcasts and so forth. All this stuff is influencing our creativity, whether we're writing a nonfiction book, whether we're writing a novel or a poem. And so... It's um, process is is really it's really everything, and the more you surrender to that, the more you can come out with a magical product. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Albert Flynn De Silver, and he is the author of Writing as a Path to Awakening. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, Albert Flynn De Silver. Com, and he spells his name, Albert, A-L-B-E-R-T, Flynn, F-L-Y-N-N, DeSilver is D-E-S-I-L-V-E-R, albertflynndesilver.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Albert Flynn de Silver, and he's the author of Writing as a Path to Awakening. And Albert, we're talking about writing and becoming more skillful in writing. And I know that uh, one of the things that you talk about, your advice, is to do a lot of reading. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Do a lot of reading. So, you know, think, oh, wait, writing, you mean I have to read too? <laughs> yeah, so why do you uh, advise us to do a lot of reading? 
Yeah, the book really could have been called Reading as a Path to Awakening. (laughs) (laughs) I give them equal weight. You know, reading is writing, writing is reading. And I've never met uh, a truly good or great writer who's not a great reader, because that's how we learn to phrase things and to come up with syntax and ways of ordering words and playing with language. So I think it's absolutely essential to to read a lot and to, again, it's this way that we're, you know, as, a, as an extension of the creative field, um, we're not this individual self, we're this dynamic uh, blending of of all ideas. And so reading is allows these ideas to to come into our being and to infiltrate through our own experience. And so it's not that that we end up being plagiarizers or something like that, but it's more like, oh, this is the influence. This is this is this is how I learn and grow as a creative person and get super inspired. I can remember when I read this part in the book and and you were talking about some of the writers that you you have read and that you love. And I remember uh, one particular book that popped for me, and this was uh, Burl Markham's um, West with the Night. Mm. And she wrote about, she was in Africa. And actually, she was at the same time as um, Denison, who out of Africa, and her experience, and also flying in a plane and becoming a pilot and all that. But it was her languaging in that book. I just, I heard it as as an audio book. When I hear something like that, I also then have to get the book. Mm-hmm, sure. And and you suggest that too, because the reading on the page is different than just the audio. And I just would listen over and read over and over. How did she take these very, very simple words mm-hmm. and create such a visceral image? And I was just amazed at the mm-hmm. way... She put words together. Now, she was not a writer per se, mm-hmm. but she had this way of conveying something. This is writing from the body. Yeah. You know, I think this is when when people are connected to their intuition, they're connected to their interior world and their visceral experience, they can write with that level of viscerality that, that communicates the, the emotional depth of their own experience through words. And that's why it's so magical. That's why writing and poetry and stories are so magical, because they can come through us this way when we surrender to that that kind of of experience. I, I want to give an example. I want to Please. give an example. You have one exercise in your book. It's a, just a brief exercise. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll, I'm going to try this one. <laughs> okay. And it was something like... Um, like, just look around in your environment and just pick out three things and just take less than a minute and write about them. Hmm. I thought, oh, I can, I can pause and I can do that. And here's what I came up with. And I was just astounded by it because it – now, remember, this is under 60 seconds is what I came up with. All right. So I, I came up with three objects that was in my immediate environment. And I wrote, the sword of the leaf is racing ahead of the others to pierce the ceiling. Hmm. That was the first one. The second one I really like. 
The box is jutting out, standing away from the pack, poised to escape the boredom of order. <laughs> Beautiful. I love that one. I love <laughs> that one. Great. Then the other one, the third one was uh, the red shoe box sits with deep patience, longing to be chosen. It shouts, choose me, choose me today, choose me. (laughs) I love it. See, this is incredible. This is exactly what I intended with these exercises is to bring out that sense of possibility and that sense of joy that when you give these exercises a try and you don't overthink them, you know, you write from the body and from the gut and from the heart instead of exclusively from the head, that all kinds of amazing things are. I mean, that was such a perfect example of how things can get really animated and alive and beautiful and surprising for us. So thank you for it's it was this. it's true. And I, and I, and then it's like you I, well you give an example. There's another example, a story you tell in the book. It's so wonderful. There was a time you were you were substitute teaching and you were with fifth graders or oh, sixth yeah, yeah. graders and they were very rowdy and they were gonna give a substitute teacher a really <laughs> bad time. And you Absolutely. came in and, and describe that scene and and how you worked with them. Yeah, well it was just a you know, you're sometimes you're introduced fairly well as the visiting teacher and sometimes not so well. And if there's a substitute teacher, it's like the kids are already off and at you, you know, and just not trusting this whole poetry guy thing. And anyway, so it was one of those classrooms. It was a little rowdy, out of control. And um, and so I just kind of launched into this this poetry experience and I just got a little dramatic and a little hyperbolic and they were they kind of settled down and they're like who is this guy and who, why is he acting so strange <laughs> just about words and about language and um and I think that you told them that that they were going to be the teacher exactly yeah no I said we're going to switch roles here you're the teachers I'm going to be the student and I'm going to invite you to explore your imaginations on your terms I'm not going to feed anything to you. I might give you a couple of examples. And I gave them a, a basic simile example. And and I sort of started writing it on the board. And I said, um, you know, the, the evening moon is, I forget the exact example, but it was something like the evening moon is slipping beneath the horizon, like blank. And um, this one kid just shot his arm up and he said, like, a blob of ketchup slipping off a wet plate. And I was like, what? <laughs> it was just such this beautiful, detailed, particular, excellent, excellent image, you know? And it just, uh, I said, yes, that's exactly it. You know, and this was the, you know, this kid had never really explored writing. He wasn't an expert. And, you know, and this is why I, I have this time frame: a year to becoming an excellent writer and living the awakened life. It's because it doesn't take necessarily a lifetime. Sure, it takes practice to really hone your your craft, but in an instant, you know, when you're when the invitation is there and the the space is there to allow yourself to write from that deeper place, really amazing, beautiful things happen. Absolutely. And and you talk about how poetry cultivates the imagination. You give some examples. So well, how does poetry trigger this for us? Well, I, I like to talk about poetry as the language of possibility. And it was, I think it was Carl Sandburg who said that poetry is an echo 
asking a shadow to dance. <laughs> when I read that, I thought, wow, what could that possibly mean? <laughs> right? You know, my my mind, my brain wanted to sort of figure out the meaning. And then at some point I just let go and I was like, I don't know what that means, but it's beautiful and it's weird and it's strange and it's inviting me in. And and I've always loved that because it it, it it's a definition, but it's a non-definition. And it just makes you show up in present form for the mystery of awareness. Right. That is language. That is poetry. Right. And I think we're kind of trained in our culture to to try and figure out the meaning and pick out the meaning. And that's why people are so misunderstanding of poetry because they want it to mean a particular thing the way a story, you know, tracks a narrative event. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not what poetry is about. I remember going to a poetry reading that Robert Bly did one time. Mm. And, and he read one of his poems, and I'm in a whole auditorium of lots of people. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I don't get it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, everybody else here really gets it. I'm the only <laughs> one that doesn't get it, you know. And, you know, I mean, yeah. it's it's nice, but I, I don't get it. It, di it didn't reach me. Mm -hmm. And then Robert says, now let me read that again. Mm -hmm. And then he starts to read it again, and then he pauses between the stanzas, and then he gives, repeats a stanza, and then he plays with it, and then he allows it to start to really infiltrate and start to sit with you. And then I got poetry. I mean, yeah. I really thank him for that. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are other poets that do that. I think David White does that really well, too, yeah. and others— and I started to to understand. Oh, it's it. I was trying to get poetry from my intellect, from my head. <laughs> right, right. And it's something else goes on with poetry because yeah. you can't figure it out. No, it's that it's that bodily understanding. It's it's reading it from the heart and from the lower belly and from the full body. And you know, it's interesting. I think that poetry is. It's so alien in our culture because our culture doesn't take time to get quiet. And poetry needs quiet. Poetry needs space. Although, right? although Albert. In general. <laughs> although there are some Madison Avenue young people who get poetry. That's true. <laughs> and there are some ads that will just say, I think it, there's a, a, a Walt Whitman ad that they they, they use a, a, some stanza from oh Walt and some yeah. from Maya Angelou. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's selling something. <laughs> but right. if you ever run across it, it just stops you, you uh -huh. know, the open road, you know, or the road not taken or whatever it is. Yeah. And so there's where... Or rap. Oh, sure. You know, rap is, and young people, is a way of entering into some poetry. Absolutely. Yeah, so there are, there's a lot of gateways, for sure. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you, you mentioned rap, which it really comes out of very traditional rhyming poetry, going back for the English tradition, you know, a couple hundred years. And just making it contemporary, making it real for for you know, various cultures and various communities. And I think that's, it's wonderful and it's powerful. And, but people don't necessarily think of it as, as poetry, 
you know, it's got this different name, although at its core, I do think it is poetry. Um, so. And, and, and not all of it is, is that rap can get some real negative sure. uh, publicity sure. because some of it is, can, can be really violent and that sort of thing mm-hmm. or misogynist or whatever. Yeah. But, the, but the, I, I don't know enough to say the bulk of it. But a lot of it is just really very studied and very deep. So I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Albert Flynn De Silver, and he's the author of Writing as a Path to Awakening, A Year to Becoming an Excellent Writer and Living an Awakened Life. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Albert Flynn de Silver, and he is the author of Writing as a Path to Awakening, A Year to Becoming an Excellent Writer and Living an Awakened Life. And uh, if, if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, albertflynndesilver.com, and he spells his middle name F-L-Y-N-N, and his last name D-E-S-I-L-V-E-R, Albert Flynn DeSilver.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. And Albert, uh, let's talk about a couple of other things that you talk about in the book or suggests or advice, and that has to do with devotion and discipline. Mm. Uh, okay, <laughs> so let's let's give that some some um, some time here. Devotion. Devotion. All right. What What do you mean by devotion? We kind of think of that as kind of in religious terms, but devotion. Yeah. Why do you Why do you use that? Well, I think I remember reading years ago, um, Anne Waldman, and she had this whole thing around. Uh, it might have even been the title of one of her her poems or essays or her books. Uh, Vow to poetry. And I always thought that was really interesting, taking a vow to poetry. What did that really mean, you know, in the, in the way that you take religious vows? And, um, and so I started thinking a lot about devotion as um, really being devoted to that creative process and to yourself as a creative being, as someone who, who wants to change the world through language, through communication. Um, and... I, you know, at some point, it it became like that for me. Just write, like I couldn't not write. I could not do poetry. <laughs> I could not do a memoir, or just writing. Uh, and I feel that way more than ever now. Uh, but that, that creative impulse, and I think this is natural for all of us, and it just manifests differently for different people. Uh, you know, for me, it manifests through this this need to write. For some people, it manifests through the need to create businesses. Um, for some people, it, it, it's this need to create dance. Or, But we are creative beings. That's part of just our natural state, I think. And 
So when we reconnect to that aspect of devotion, I think it it really solidifies this this journey of creativity and allows us to to get into this process, right? And enjoy that process as part of our vow. Like we've made this this vow and we're devoted now. So we got to show up. And even if it's for a few minutes a day, just to write our thoughts and to know what we think and to know what we feel, that's devotion to presence. That's devotion to the world. And then it's and then we practice it and and we think of practice oh practicing our scales or yeah, whatever right. oh that sounds so hard and being disciplined about it but uh, I wrote down a, a sentence you say I love this sentence it's what you say in the book and it's I can't remember who who you attributed it to but um, you say practice doesn't make perfect practice makes process, and eventually, with consistent attention, proficiency, and with serious devotion, mastery. So you say, you can't even get close to mastery without devotion. So with consistent attention, proficiency, and with serious devotion, mastery. So uh, you... I attribute that to myself. Oh, goody. I'm so glad I picked out a sentence that was yours. Absolutely. Well, only because... um, Oh, I said that I must have said that I love this sentence. Maybe I don't don't remember. Anyway. No, well, it's just, you know, nothing is truly mine, quote unquote. Yeah. But just, I started thinking about this whole, you know, practice makes perfect, you know, that old adage. And... And I was thinking, is that really true? <laughs> you know, it's not true. And there's no such thing as perfection. You know, and we there's a lot of perfectionists out there that thinking that there's this way I can keep on making it better and better and better and better and better. And if it's not going to be perfect, well, then I don't even want to bother, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that or one, someday I will arrive. Yeah, at exactly. Some destiny. Yeah, yeah. And so this keeps us from the page. It keeps us from the dance floor. It keeps us from the music studio. Um, this this strive of of some abstract notion of perfection. When really, if we start thinking about practice making process. That when we get into practice, we engage in the process of creativity, and it becomes this natural part of our lives, an, ex- an extension of who we are, rather than something that we have to do that because we think we should, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and in, in regards to discipline, you know, discipline is always kind of a bad word for me because I got disciplined when I was a kid. That, that, that nanny was not... <laughs> yeah, not, I have yeah. bad associations with discipline. Um, and so it was this real interesting process of rethinking that word discipline and what that means and how the an, an act of completion becomes this, this point of almost like point of transcendence along the, the process where we can engage more deeply and really discover who we are and what we have to offer the world, I think. Right. And then, then that just takes you into um, the idea of rewriting, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and editing and everything. Yes. I remember uh, years ago, the first piece, I, I wanted to be a writer. I, I, I didn't. There's still time. There's still time. There's still time. I, I, I wanted to be a writer, but I, I, did, I had all those things that I said at the very beginning of the program that, uh, you know, well, I could never do it. I'm not good enough, all of that. But finally, there was something that I just had to write out. 
and it had to do with uh, my first uh, getting my first horse. Mm. And I wrote this piece, and I wrote it. I it just the it was anyway. I just wrote this piece, and I sent it off to um, the engineer we were working with at the time, mm. and he was an English major. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was Phil Catalfo, and I remember Phil said to me, he's, he read the piece, and I was looking forward to getting some feedback on it. Right. And he said, Justine, you know, this, your grammar is terrible, and your spelling is awful, and the way yeah. you put all of this together, it's just, it's just a mess. Mm. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And then he said, but I am really jealous. And I mm. said, What? He said, I'm really jealous. He said, I am an English major, and so I cannot put anything down unless it's already perfect in grammar mm. and syntax and everything. Yeah. And I can see you write from your gut, and you can fix the grammar. You can fix the sentence exactly. structure. You can yeah. do all of that, but what you have is, is that visceral feeling of what it was like to get a horse for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I was so appreciative of that feedback because then I've never been afraid of the editing. In fact, mm-hmm. I've looked forward to the editing process now, knowing that all I need to do is do that, what you call free writing, mm-hmm. just free write it, just yep. let it just roll, let it just roll. And then the rest is mm-hmm. is in the mix later. Yeah. So, well, that's so great you didn't take on the the criticism about the, the grammar and that you were able to take in the praise about this this visceralness, which is really, he's right. That's, that's the core. That's what's truly important. It's not to say that grammar and sentence structure and syntax and all that stuff isn't important, but we, you know, we have people for that who can support us on that journey. Um, and when I said that that writing is a is a community effort and it takes a village. Um, I truly mean that. Just, you know, putting this book together, for example, you know, I had a copy editor, I had a editor, editor, structural editor. Um, I had worked with a, a whole nother, you know, pre-editor. And so, because we can't do all of it on our own, you know, we can't. And so, it's, it's, um, it's really great to think of it in those terms because then you don't feel like, oh, I'm on my own here and I've got to do it on my own. And and really you want to be able to to celebrate that writing from from the core and not get bogged down in this ideas of perfection or ideas of making sure that the grammar is all correct. And these are all just these voices. In they our can hands be real we, stoppers to your own creative absolutely, process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, right. There's a piece that I want to read. Mm-hmm. And it's from your book. And and I know that you say, like, when you're reading, uh, what you do, and I tend to do it too, is to have a notebook with me oh, yeah. where I jot stuff down as mm-hmm. I'm reading. And, and this is something that really popped for me mm. in what you wrote. You were describing a, a certain point of being in a coffee shop and noticing a certain waitress or barista or something, and the way that she would greet people and how she would move around this coffee shop and um, and how enthusiastic and how authentic she was and how that can change us. And, And you wrote, you said, can we be our authentic, enthusiastic self no matter what? 
and show up for each other. Maybe you're at work and you have to perform some customer service shtick to keep your job, but you do it not because it's your job and you do want to keep, you do want to please your voice or even merely keep your job. You do it because this is the most important moment of your life, the only moment of your life. You don't know what's going to happen next. Here in reality, all we have is now. Your work, regardless of your actual job, is to meet the world head-on at this very moment, no matter what, no matter who. Meet whatever grief, trauma, fear, anxiety, or illusion that shows up with as much joy, presence, and enthusiastic aliveness as you can muster. Say yes to whatever comes. And that is free writing. That is free being, free living, and free storytelling on the path to awakening. Wow. Who wrote that? Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that because it, it is, it, it's like it comes through you. Exactly. And then when you get it fed back to you, you go, wow, yeah, that's right on. That's right on. That enthu- the authentic, enthusiastic presence. And, I remember that day so specifically because I was trying to figure out what to do with this book as I was writing. I was like, I I wanted to tell everyone all this stuff that I supposedly thought I knew about meditation and about writing. And at some point, I finally was like, oh, no, this is about stories. This is about little anecdotes. I mean, it's also about the how-to stuff. But what's going to make it really interesting is these, these sort of simple moments of our daily lives and these simple little anecdotes that illustrate various points that I want to convey in the book. And there was just this rainy day. I'm sitting in downtown San Rafael at the coffee shop and just observing. I was like, oh, I'm going to take my my own medicine here and I'm just going to free write and, and just free write into this project, which I wasn't doing. I was sort of overthinking it at the time. And I, that's when this all kind of came through, you know, just the observations of this barista and it just allowing myself to be in that moment was just That's so much great. fun. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it with us. And now we have it too. <laughs> I'm here with Albert Flynn De Silver, and he is the author of Writing as a Path to Awakening, A Year to Becoming an Excellent Writer and Living an Awakened Life. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Albert 
Flynn DeSilva, the author of Writing as a Path to Awakening, A Year to Becoming an Excellent Writer and Living an Awakened Life. Albert, I'd like that, you know, you have many different meditations, as I said in the book, and many processes. And there was one that that popped out. This was just to give a flavor of some of the processes that Mm -hmm. you have. And this one kind of excited me. Mm. It was like a, a way to kind of give you a, what do you call it when you are prompt, a writing prompt. prompt. Okay, so this is an exercise where you say, okay, just go out into the world and take 20 pictures a day. (laughs) Do you remember this one? I do, yes. You know, can you describe it then? (laughs) Yeah, so the, uh, well, first of all, I should preface it by saying that um, my whole background is actually in photography. And so that's partly where this came from. I have a BFA in photography and a master's degree in Kind of, well, half photography and half what they call new genres, which is an amorphous term that means <laughs> lost artist, basically. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I started thinking about, I mean, it's so, it's so nice to be able to have a, a prompt that's like this solid visual thing. I mean, most of us are primarily visual in our, our that's our primary sense experience. And so to go out and, and have this sort of double creative experience where you just kind of shoot from the hip and gather a bunch of pictures. You can just take your cell phone and just do right, it. Right, yeah. absolutely. It's simple. You don't have to be fancy. And just things that are catching your eye, you know, bright details, colors, shapes, forms. And don't even think about it. It's sort of like free photographing, like in the same way that you would free write and um, not trying to make anything perfect. And, um, and then edit those down to, I forget how many I said, maybe three or five or yeah. something like that. And write, free write from those pictures. And, well, I uh, think that you said specifically just to be, uh, I think, because I read it recently, so uh, it's... I haven't read okay, it in a while. I, I know you haven't. You're far away from it. You're off to your next project already. But uh, so it's, so if you do 20 pictures a day and then you, you call that down to seven pictures per day, so that's 21 images, and then you pick out three out of the 21, and that's what you write about. You take the okay. three, okay. so that just Good. just to help people follow it. <laughs> Perfect. And you can get all the details <laughs> in the book. Exactly. Precisely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've always found it very powerful to write from images. Um, it can be a little bit abstract and overwhelming to just pull things out of the ether, you know. Right. Um, but these have already attracted your eye. Exactly. Exactly. So this is kind of, we're really training the imagination in this exercise. One of my favorite books is um, from Teachers and Writers Collaborative. It's one of these books I picked up when I was learning how to become a poetry teacher. It was called Educating the Imagination. And I just thought, oh, wow. I thought like that was sort of an innate thing, but it's helpful to educate the imagination. And how do we do that? And so this is one of those exercises that will help people reconnect with it. It's not that you don't have an imagination, you know, or that people always say to me, oh, I'm not a very creative person. Nonsense. Everybody is a creative person. It's like, where have you been putting your attention? You know, you may not have been putting your attention on creativity, or you may have been putting it in a different way. And so this is the invitation to reconnect with that power of your imagination. Which reminds me of one of the formulas that you, you, you don't put many formulas in your book, <laughs> but there are two in the book. And the one is you say devotion plus attention 
plus consistent action equal talent. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you know, people, so many of us think that talent is this thing you're born with, right? And it's this myth that that permeates our culture. But in reality, for most of us, and of course, there are always rare exceptions of, you know, the prodigy, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who finds a love for a particular discipline, be that writing or dance or music or business or whatever it is. And you apply that attention, you bring your attention to that and your love of it. And if you're interested in participating in the conversation, the creative conversation around that discipline, then you devote yourself to it and you be consistent. And what happens is you get published or you have a dance recital or, you know, your, your photograph winds up in a book or you know, it's it's really just showing up. What did Woody Allen say? Yeah. You know, half of life is just showing up. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, and you've already talked a lot about how connecting with the body that, mm-hmm. and, and I, I know for me, just when I'm writing, and I have to do a lot of writing in, in my work. So I'm constantly writing. Sometimes it's fundraising writing. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's program descriptions. And then I write essays every month. And, and so I'm, I'm constantly writing. And, and that's good because I have these timelines that forces me to be that disciplined and do sure. it. And I have people that help me and edit, help me edit all of that, which is right. really good. So I put it out and then I get this feedback, all oh, this, you know, whatever. And uh, but I notice that when I write, I actually you you help help me to know this about myself. When I write, I actually go into my body when I'm struggling mm-hmm. to find what is it that I'm wanting to say. What what I want. I feel mm-hmm. this about. What and and I'm actually feeling it, and I'm putting yeah. my hand on yeah. my midsection yeah. because mm-hmm. I actually feel it, and then it gets down on the paper. That's Beautiful. the way I write, Beautiful. and that it works. It does work, indeed, absolutely. But I think it it there's an element of courage. I think that's very courageous of you. Uh, it's not for many of us. It's not that comfortable to be in our bodies. Period. Let alone write from our bodies. And I write a lot about this in the book about courage. You know that the creativity that showing up for this is a courageous act. And like meditation, meditation is extremely simple, right? Just sit there and do nothing and breathe, <laughs> basically. But what happens when you do that? You know, I forget I forget who the teacher was who who uh, who asked or. Talked about this anecdote of someone asking, like, is it normal when you sit down in silence for all hell to break loose? <laughs> and she was like, Yeah, of course it is. When you get quiet, stuff comes up, you know, all that stuff that we've avoided for years. It's yeah, just, you're not going to feel bliss necessarily. No, not necessarily, although you may at some yeah. point, but oftentimes it's the stuff that we've not wanted to see or look at that comes bubbling to the surface. But that's also the gateway. That's also the portal to freedom. So you're saying it, be courageous enough to go into the body, to feel where it lives in the body and let these things come up. Yes. To grapple with your fear. Yeah, absolutely. And this is especially needed in our culture for men. 
it seems a little bit more natural for women or maybe a lot more natural for women and, and acceptable, quote unquote. I'm doing air quotes. We're on yes, the radio, okay. but you can't see. <laughs> and if, but for men, this is a big challenge. And I notice who shows up to my retreats and workshops, 80% women. And I think men are just scared to inhabit their bodies fully and to to delve into the the feeling self. And I hope that there is a shift happening in that, and especially with the younger generation, that it's not as as uh, difficult for them. I'm I not hope sure. so too. I mean, I want that's I want to be the agent for that transformation. Yes. That's really my life's work. Yes. Um, One other thing, Albert. Um, that I noticed that you recommend, and I hadn't seen this before. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to get this dictionary. You said it. You get a really good dictionary. <laughs> yeah. And and it's not get a good synonym dictionary. <laughs> no. That's not what you said. So why a good dictionary? Well, obviously, it's sort of the the Bible of words, right? That's your material in the same way that clay is the material for a sculptor. You want to find the best clay. And it's not going on Google. Not necessarily. I, I mean, mean, there's always could, the, but... yeah, there's the OED, which is sort of the, the, um, the, uh, what's the right term? I don't Oxford. know. Oxford. Yeah. The Oxford English uh, dictionary. Yeah. I mean, that's the most comprehensive right. for the English it's language huge. and it's gigantic, but yeah. there's, there's, there's in between dictionaries that are good. Um, but I think that the, the point here is to be um, interested and engaged with words and with language and to think about the material materiality of words and to be willing to explore and to play. And when you're reading, to look up words you don't know and to find that as a part of a, your cultivating your curiosity and that that's taking you deeper on the journey of writing and creativity. Well, you know what I thought of? I thought that um, I'm always amazed when people come up with these metaphors. I'm mm. always looking for metaphors and I wonder how are they oh, doing it? Yeah. And I thought, oh, I think I'm going to get a dictionary like you have suggested, Albert, and I'm going to use it like an oracle. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to flip. This is having a physical dictionary. Yeah. You can do this. Just flip it over and open wherever it opens and just sort of look down the page that mm-hmm. opens and see what words pop out at me Absolutely. And, and see if I can work with something and start to make my own metaphors that that are delicious. Oh, Albert, we've run out of time. Oh, <laughs> great, great conversation. I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you well, so much for putting this out. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm excited. I think listeners can tell that I'm excited about some of the wonderful work that you've done in this book and how you've helped us to become better writers. Well, it's been an absolute honor and a joy to meet you finally after listening for so many years. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Albert Flynn De Silver, author of Writing as a Path to Awakening, A Year to Becoming an Excellent Writer and Living an Awakened Life. He is also quite a wonderful poet, award-winning poet. And his website is Albert Flynn De Silver, Albert Flynn, F-L-Y-N-N, De Silver, D-E-S-I-L-V-E-R.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening 
to new dimensions. This is program number 3642. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org, or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. Thank you.